So for this morning, one of the things that I wanted to share with you, a little story, I always like starting off with a little bit of personal experience that the Lord seems to bring to me that ties in. And some of you may know I've shared this. It's one of those bucket list items that uh, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Scotland for a couple weeks. And it came about in 2018 from a sister who very generously asked me one time, she's on her own, and she wanted to travel to Europe, and she asked if, um, if it was okay with my wife if I could go with her, and I, of course, said, you bet, after checking with my wife, who did say it would be fine for us to go, it would be a great sibling adventure. And this had been, you know, a bucket list item for quite a long time. In fact, I had scheduled it after college and uh, different, I think three or four times I, I started and then had to cancel and stop and restart and so forth. But um, this trip, um, again in 2018, I was, I was uh, exceedingly happy to say, yes, I will go. And she wanted me to take care of all the details. And I said, no problem. I'll start looking, you know, Travelocity, find some, find some discounted fares and, and lodgings, and, um, you know, we'll, we'll put something together. She said, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to do this right. We're going to do this at the best and highest places. She said, I want to stay in castles. I want to fly first class. I want to eat the finest meals that are made in the country. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's, that's going to that's gonna be expensive. And she said, price is no object. She's a gal of means. And, and um, so, so I started making a plan. And, and the more I started getting into it, um, there was a lot to it. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was get over there and end up at McTavish's, you know, haggis-on-a-stick kind of experience. But uh, we, we, uh, I sat down, made a plan. We ended up staying in a, in a 17th century castle that, you know, um, from that time on, most of the royalty in, in the country had stayed at one point or another, or royalty from other countries. There was a Rolls Royce out front. Had an unbelievable room. We, our first two nights, um, we stayed in Edinburgh and at the Belle Morale, which is the premium hotel. I think the rooms were $1,100 a night. And honestly, I, I, I don't think I have shared this with uh, many people at all, simply because it sounds like boasting. And, uh, but this was something so far beyond, you know, I had a bucket list. I wanted to get over there, but I was really willing to go over on a, you know, tramp steamer any way I could get over there. And this was just beyond my expectation. And, and, and I devoted myself to the plan. We, we were going to take advantage and experience everything that was offered to us. Everything was offered to us but we could certainly miss much of that experience. And as Pastor Darren read that first text in Ephesians, and Paul is laying out this 
glorious plan of God for his people. How much more should we pay attention to the plan that God has for us experiencing all the riches, all the glory of our adoption and our inheritance in Christ. This letter is Paul's magnus opus to the Christian life and experience. And he spends the first three chapters talking about that life in detail, the glory of it. And then he gets practical. As Paul comes to the close of the third chapter, he clearly wants us to experience all God has for us in Christ. And I love this prayer. Paul begins in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to, to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That is a great prayer. That is a glorious player. I, prayer. I want that, Paul. How does that happen, Paul? Well, fortunately, in the next and final three chapters of the letter, Paul is going to tell us how God is going to accomplish his plan. Like a good architect, he lays out a, brute, a blueprint for God's plan for us to follow. And he starts by showing us, I think, three things. He shows us God's provision, God's purpose for that provision, and the produce or the fruit that re results from that purpose. Our text today, we've read much from Ephesians. We're going to read more. Our text today is Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. Let me read that. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's the plan for the Christian life. There is no plan B. And it behooves us to understand this plan and embrace it. And beginning in verse 11, this statement, I, I believe, is the, is, is the center of this text. It says, and he gave. God gave. And we'll call this God's provision. Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. As we walk this Christian life, one of, one of the fundamental truths that we need to, need to grasp and hold on to is that God's provision for us is perfect. It casts off all fear. It casts off all doubt. God promises that he will continue. He will complete the work that he began. And when we are fearful, it reveals a lack of understanding that God's provision is always perfect for us. So let's look at God's provision. It says that he gave. If there ever was a phrase that describes God's posture towards his children, it's this, he gives. We see this in Peter's second letter when Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God gives to the church and to us individually everything we need for life and godliness. And it's always good. James 1.17 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. Everything that comes down from our Heavenly Father is good. Think of useful, pleasant, agreeable, joyful. And it's not only good, it's perfect. It's exactly what it needs to be. It's finished, it's complete, it's excellent, it's pure. Even sorrowful things. We know the verse, Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is good, and he is good always. And he gives gifts to men. Ephesians 4, 7, 8, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives 
and he gave gifts to men. Well, what does he mean, he gave gifts to men? It means that he gifted men with specific gifts to accomplish his purposes. And he speaks of them right there. He says, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. Shepherds and teachers. And he, he um, and, this, and this is how he provides everything for the church and, and what the church needs to flourish and prosper. The gifting is for a specific purpose. Are you fearful for the church? If you're fearful for the church, we need to readjust our thinking to the understanding that God provides gifts. He will provide gifts for our needs. He gave the apostles, it says. This is big A apostle referencing the 12 disciples These were men who had seen the risen Christ and they were set and given gifts to accomplish three tasks. The first was they were to lay the foundation for the church. Earlier in this letter, chapter two, verse 20, Paul tells us that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone Secondly, the apostles' gifts were to receive, declare, and write the word of God. Ephesians 3, 4 through 5, Paul says, when you read this, and this is the letter he's, he, we are in, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And thirdly, the apostles were gifted to confirm this word through signs, wonders, and miracles. And this is what we call the apostolic age. The apostolic age that continued until the last apostle died the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. After writing the book of Revelation, they fulfilled their calling. So are we in trouble? They're all gone. Apostles aren't with us anymore. Peter tells us not likely. God has provided 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's saying until the Lord returns, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. This is our anchor. This is the rock for the church. Well, Paul goes on to say that God gave prophets and he is speaking here of of, uh, New Testament prophets. And we would again hold that uh, this was was intended just for the apostolic age. 
Um, there's not a whole lot that is given on it, but it seems that these were men especially commissioned in the early church, gifted to the work within the local congregation. They sometimes spoke practical, direct revelation for the church or expounded revelation already given. One example that I think is really instructive is Acts eleven twenty seven to 28. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine. And then if you would continue to read, the apostles responded to that and began organizing for providing um, what was needed to those that were going to be most affected by that famine. And thirdly, it says he gave evangelists. And evangelists are intended and certainly live today to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. Acts 21.8, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. Even Timothy was called by Paul an evangelist. He says in his second letter, chapter four, verse five, as you always being sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then fourthly, and this is our focus for this morning, is he gave the shepherds and teachers. And we can understand this as, as a single office. The and, the Greek word there, can mean in particular. So as in 1 Timothy 5, 17, he says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So he's saying shepherds, and specifically shepherd teachers, God has given to the church. Because all, all elders, all pastors, I should say, our elders, our shepherds, and overseers. These are, these are tasks that, that the office, uh, the calling for the office specifies. But some men are specifically called to be a pastor teacher, to truly devote themselves to the preaching of the word. Timothy was gifted as a teaching pastor. And I love Paul's admonition to this young pastor. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that, in, so that all may see your progress. Three things that I see in, the, in this characteristic of a teaching pastor. It's devotion, devotion to the task, practicing the task. It, 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 it just doesn't happen. It, it takes a tremendous amount of work. And then he says, immerse yourself in these things. To immerse yourself in something is really going to require that you separate yourself from many things that are a distraction and, and unhelpful 
in the process of mastering the calling of a teaching pastor. And I think we've been blessed over the last nearly six years in Pastor John applying all these things to him, a devotion, a practice, into immersing himself in it. And I think one of the things that's important for us to keep in mind, particularly as we, as we look to God's provision for the next teaching pastor, is that this is a process. And, and no man is going to step in here and be a John Prettyman. And firstly, because he's not, he's his own man, he has his own calling, and also because, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but one of the reasons God moves men on and brings us someone new is that they have a specific calling, they have a specific task. And the season uh, in the life of a church can be varied. And, and I look back six years and what John stepped into, and it was very different from the task that our previous te- teaching pastor had taken on. And, and it, it's a blessing, it's a comfort, it's an encouragement to see that God had a specific purpose um, and calling for John over the, over the last six years. And he devoted himself to that task. So when we ask the question, why does God take away? What are we to, what are we to think? And key, as in all things, we must think biblically. We must see it from the perspective of God's sovereignty. We have to check our worldview. This text says God gave. God gave. And outwardly, that's easy to say. But inwardly, do we more think we found? I found. We're sending out applications. We're getting applications in. Is this all driven by us? Listen, if we are the ones that find, we can lose. If we found, we may not find again. If we found, we might have found the wrong man. See how a poor view of God's sovereignty leads us to fear and doubt and creates an entirely unhealthy environment for a new pastor stepping in. Why do we fear and doubt? Because we see it's all dependent on us rather than God who fulfills his promise. A right view of God's sovereignty shows us we can trust him even when he calls a shepherd away. Remember, God gives gifts to men. God gives gifted men to the church. Paul is telling us that God has promised to provide to the church, everything the church needs. 
Well, many reasons God calls men away, and I spoke of some of those, but we have different calling. I love this verse, Paul speaking to Titus, another young pastor, chapter one, verse five, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Titus had a specific calling. And I assume at some point he fulfilled that calling. He may have been called away and another pastor called into that church. And we've seen the same pattern in our own church over time. And there's different giftings. Again, in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul says, do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Specific men are gifted in specific ways in specific seasons of the church to minister to the church where it needs it. I personally have sat under three teaching pastors here in my roughly 23 years at Grace, and all three of them are, are entirely different men and, and gifted in, in dramatically different ways. So why have we struggled at times with our leaders? Could it be that we don't trust God with his provision, with a man he gives us? As we'll see, the teaching pastors for equipping us for ministry, not doing the work of ministry. He's for helping us be equipped for ministry. Perhaps we forgot the teaching pastor is a means. He's not an end. And as, as John shared, when God provides that next man, do not welcome him into the church as the church. Welcome him in as part of the church. He's part of the body of Christ with a specific task, just as each one of us has. Well, next, Paul covers what I would say the purpose or the goal of this provision. He says in verses 12 through 13, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what is the purpose of the teaching pastor? To assist the church to move forward, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He equips the saints for ministry. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And John, to the glory of God, I think has done a phenomenal job with that over the six years. He has brought the word of God to us. He has clarified the word of God to us. He's given us the whole counsel of God. 
I meant to go back on our website. You can see the sermon series that we've, we've covered over the years. And, and we have been walked through in detail so much of the New Testament. It's just amazing. God has used him to equip us for the work of the ministry. And then it says, for building up the body of Christ, that, it, that it's a healthy, it's a strong body. And he draws a picture of what, what that strong, healthy body looks like. He says, unified in the faith, knowledgeable, matured to the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we can actually reflect the character of Christ. That's a picture of a healthy body of Christ. I think it's the things that distract us, that divide us, that is, that is the, the work of the enemy. That is the work of Satan. God's purpose in giving us a man that will equip us for ministry and build the body of Christ is to unify us in faith, in knowledge, and bring us to maturity. Not our level of maturity, maturity to the stature of Christ, the fullness of Christ. That sounds amazing. No wonder Paul said, who is sufficient for these things? The Apostle Paul, who is sufficient for these things? Even he was overwhelmed. He goes on in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. We've seen God's provision in the church. We've seen his, his purpose in his provision. And now we see what God seeks to produce in his church. Verses 14 and six through 16. He says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What does God seek to produce in his church? I think first, stability. Stability. A church fully anchored on the word of God, unified in faith, Much of the Christian church today is embracing the most ungodly beliefs and doctrines. Why? And it seems like it's happened almost overnight. Headline after headline of this denomination or this denomination is embracing this godless act and that godless act. Why, why, is it, why did it happen overnight? Is it politics? It's not politics. And it didn't happen overnight. 
virtually all these denominations, mainline denominations that have have uh, embraced the most godless behavior first gave up the authority and the inerrancy of scripture over their church. And they started operating based on the wisdom of men. If we're going to be stable, and God intends us to be stable, because God gives the church a teaching pastor to establish the church in the word of God, So we need to embrace the word of God and give thanks that God gives teaching men to teach and hold high the authority of scripture over the church. I think also God wants to produce what he says, truthfulness. He says to be truthful. What does that mean? A church that speaks the truth in love. It is so difficult today for some. To speak the truth in love, you have to speak the truth of their condition. That they are sinners, that we are all sinners. And as Paul put it, separated from Christ, having no hope and without God in the world under the wrath of God. That just doesn't go over well at a coffee shop. That is a a difficult message. It's particularly difficult to say in love. But that's what the church calls us to. God calls us, if if we are to be effective, if we are to to, um, act on the equipping for the work of the ministry that we have been given, we have to speak the truth in love. We have to speak the truth in love to our neighbors, to our family members, to that stranger on the street that we have that opportunity with. We have to speak the truth in love. The grace of God in Christ is the only good news we have to offer. And I love how Luther, Martin Luther By the way, Monday is Reformation Day if you're planning on celebrating. Said this, to a man who would be saved, first comes despair and then light. You can't just share light. They they will not come to Christ. They have to despair in their own situation and know their circumstances before a holy God Well, Paul concludes telling us the fruit of God's purpose for his provision and his gifts. He says that the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is a great plan. And that's the plan for our church. And like that wonderful opportunity to travel over to Europe and make sure we don't miss a thing, this is the plan we need to focus on. And we need to trust that God is, 
is, is providing what we need to accomplish this plan. Satan would have us fear. Satan would have us say, something has changed. We're no longer equipped. But God promises that he will give gifts to men and he will give gifted men to the church. So how should we feel about our church? There is sorrow as we feel the missing fellowship of a beloved brother. But honestly, I have, I have never in all my years here been so excited for the future of Grace Bible Church. Why? Because God has faithfully provided shepherds. Church has never been without a faithful shepherd. And through those men, God has equipped us for the work of ministry. He has. That's what God had John here for six years to equip the church for the work of ministry. Do you believe that? Do you believe you've been equipped for ministry? I think we have. I think God intends to use this church for his glory. And we need to believe him. We need to believe him. We are few. But you know, God seems to enjoy working with small things, little things. Do you know why? Because because they give him the glory. I've always loved, I might have to alter it a little bit, but I've always loved this comment by Francis Chan when he said, I want to be part of something that if God doesn't show up, I'm trashed. I want to be part of a work where God is going to be seen as big, glorious, magnificent, and good. And I think that's what he wants to do in this church. And and I think he wants to use Grace Bible Church in Hollister, California. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for giving us teaching pastors. We thank you that you gift men for that role. And Father, we thank you that your intention is that your church in proclaiming your glory would flourish and grow, would be healthy, would reflect the glory of Christ. And Father, we just proclaim now that you have equipped us Father, we are, we are going to act and step in faith knowing that you have equipped us for the calling that you have called this church to fulfill in Hollister, California. But Father, we, we are often fearful. We pray you would strengthen us by your spirit, Father God.
to walk courageously, boldly, fearlessly. We can't do this on our own. We can't do this by our will. Only, Father God, as you sustain us and establish us, can we do the work you have called us to. But Father, we give you praise and glory for how you have equipped us, for having blessed us for six years with a teaching pastor who loves you, devoted himself to the task. Father, let us take up our part. Let us take up the work of the ministry to the glory of God. And we will give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.